Hi, welcome to another episode of The Adoption Files. This is Andy Stanley, your host. Joining me today is Lynn Grubb, the adopted genealogist. She is also the president of the Adoptee Rights Coalition. Hi, Lynn. Hey, Andy. Nice to be back. Yeah, Lynn is one of my favorite guests here on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here. And thank you so much for bringing to my attention the book that we are going to be talking about uh, for this series of podcast episodes. So Lynn, could you introduce us to this book that you and I have just been losing our shit over for the last <laughs> month or so? Right. Yes. It's called Conceiving Christian America, Embryo Adoption and Reproductive Politics by Risa Cromer. So how did you come across this book? Well, I was at my favorite library, the same one I used to ride my bike to as a kid. And it's it's been remodeled since then. And I was walking over toward the nonfiction books, which is kind of a routine for me. And there was a display out um, in the middle of the aisle. And this book was among many others that were, um, I would say, conservative. And I kind of rolled my eyes the first time I saw it because... I was, some of the others were like, no, I'd never read that. No, I'd never read that. And so I just walked by it. And then I walked by it again. And it, it, for some reason, it really drew my attention. And so I picked it up and I'm like, oh, this isn't what I think it is. I thought it was um, like promoting, you know, Christian ideology as it relates to reproductive politics. But it's actually the opposite. It's exposing the... Um, ideas behind what we refer to in the adoption community as snowflake adoption, but even more than that, um, different reproductive, well, IVF and all the other different reproductive ways. Um, I don't know the word, Andy, help me here. That's assisted reproduction, assisted reproduction. Art. Yeah. Assisted art. reproductive technology. Yes. And there's a lot of um, acronyms in this book. So we've been keeping a list of like a glossary because we've had to learn a lot of new ones as we process this information. Yeah. So some people in the adoption community will not be familiar with the term snowflake adoption. So the snowflake embryo adoption program was actually an official program name during the George W. Bush administration. So back in 2005, some of us oldsters will remember that there was a huge controversy over the use of embryonic stem cells in research for uh, the amazing health implications that researchers were discovering when it came to the use of embryonic stem cells. And this was a scientific process that had a lot of promise, especially for people like quadriplegics. So Christopher Reeves was one of the people that was advocating for this because of his accident that left him a quadriplegic. I it had a lot of promise for other conditions. I think um, Parkinson's was one of the conditions that they were looking at. So, if you're not sure what an embryonic stem cell is, an embryonic stem cell is when 
cells begin to differentiate in the womb into like our different organs and things like that, the cells have the potential to be pretty much anything until, and I'm trying to say this in as simple a way as I can come up with, until like a switch is flicked and then they begin to develop into say like a heart or a liver or a, a brain or I don't know, just a capillary, whatever it might be from tiny to large. And researchers were discovering that by using these embryonic cells that had the potential to be anything in the human body, they could perhaps cause nerves to regenerate that had been damaged or destroyed in an accident. They could maybe promote the, the regrowth of muscle tissue or heart tissue or all kinds of different parts of the body. And this was just like this amazing breakthrough. And as someone like myself who has a medical family background, this was just like fascinating to me. I thought this is awesome. And I had been in a car accident in 2001 that left me with permanent nerve damage. So the idea that there were medical procedures that could be developed that could help people like myself have a much better quality of life and potentially save tons of people's lives was incredible. But then the pro-life movement, especially in the evangelical churches, began to pitch an absolute conniption fit. So that's where I started to become aware of snowflake embryos. So snowflake embryos, they're saying, sorry, this is a really long explanation for something that I was going to make short. <laughs> so when people go in for IVF, they create embryos. The embryos are frozen. The embryos contain embryonic stem cells. And people had the option of donating their embryos for scientific research. But the pro-life people started to chime in with human life begins at conception. So you can't destroy or donate people for research. So instead, if you can't implant an embryo yourself after you've created it, then you should donate it to somebody else. And they should have the baby that could potentially come from this embryo. And that is a form of adoption. Now, were you, had you been familiar with how all of that happens before Absolutely. you picked up? No, no, not at all. Like, I had no idea that adoption agencies treat this process just like they would an actual live child adoption. No idea. And I, I've been shocked as I've been reading through this, um, just the language, like that they literally see this as a child. They put this into the contract, right? Even though under the law, um, embryos are property. Yeah. Yeah. You want to tell the listeners who regulates the IVF industry and the frozen embryo adoption industry who regulates that nobody 
<laughs> it's actually what regulation there is is state by state and it's the what the fda the federal yeah, i think the fda has very limited rules surrounding it but they consider it the wild wild west because anything goes like you can keep there we don't even know how many frozen embryos they are because there's no reporting rules surrounding that they estimate but how would they know yeah and i think a lot of times the estimates are similar to when people claim that there are so many millions of kids in foster care and that we should support adoption because of that well the fraction of children in foster care that are actually available for adoption is much smaller than the numbers that they quote and it's the same way with frozen embryos the number of frozen embryos that would actually be available for adoption is much smaller than the actual number of of embryos that are in existence right i'm going and back to my notes because i wanted to look up i know i wrote something down about the fda but go ahead oh well yeah the, the fda it's really interesting because they only regulate it because the embryos are considered tissue and so they're considered property they're not considered people yeah on... personal property between fertility patients for procreative use that's what it says in my notes yeah so you you own the embryos that are created and there's no f i guess other than the federal snowflake adoption act there's no federal group that actually recognizes these embryos as having the rights of a person okay That's so lynn's cat is coming to the conversation <laughs> i'm actually a dog and two cats, <laughs> dog and two cats. okay <laughs> that's normal around here yeah it's a family affair <laughs> so we well i don't go ahead go ahead Andy. So when you started reading this book, what was one of the first things that really stood out for you? Uh, one of the first things was that the author was able to go behind the scenes and um, be part of the whole ordeal, like was taught, was trained, was trusted, and how everyone in her orbit, orbit believed that she thought like them that really stood out for me. Yeah, it is kind of striking that there was a real confirmation bias that was mm -hmm. in place there. They felt like if she's interested in this, then she must agree with us. Exactly. That really surprised me <laughs> because she, you know, she was involved in all of it. She was helping with every aspect of it and in a way, she was undercover, but she wasn't because she was all there with the permission of everybody, including the families whom she interviewed. Yeah. And for people unfamiliar with her, she was going into this from the perspective of an anthropologist. And so an anthropologist may live in the community that they're studying, but they don't necessarily agree with or hold the same views as the people who are in that community. And, and there's this, there's this old story in Christianity 
that has been really popular over the years. And that's that there was an author a long time ago whose name I cannot remember at the moment. I'm sure people listening will be able to come up with it. But he had gone into a study of Christianity with the idea that Christianity was just bogus. And when he was done with his studies, he was so convinced by what he read that he became a huge proponent of Christianity. And so there's this idea that used to float around evangelical churches, because I was involved with this for decades, I've, that if people just honestly came at the beliefs with an open heart, that what they would encounter would convince them of the truth of what they were encountering. So I almost feel like the people involved in this felt like, well, even if she doesn't completely agree with us right now, by the time she spent months and then years around us, she can't help but be convinced that what we're doing is the correct and godly thing to do. Did you kind of feel that way too when you were reading that or is yeah. this more background? No, I, I agree with you. I think, um, yeah, I mean, they're so convinced of their position that they wouldn't be able to understand someone not probably want, having an interest in the industry um, that didn't agree with their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's really, you know, like spoiler alert here, but she does <laughs> not agree with them she, she <laughs> for years. This is not like a casual dipping of the toe into the topic. This was a longitudinal study, took place over years, and she did not come to agree with their perspective on what they're doing. I So Lynn and I are going to be talking about this for a while and we invite others to pick up this book we'll put a link to it in the show notes so that you can find it unfortunately my library did not carry it it's currently not available on audible so if you want the book it's considered an academic book i discovered this when i ordered it i bet you can order it from amazon you can get it from a lot of local booksellers, they may have to put an order in for you. But it's definitely worth reading, especially now that some of what she kind of predicts in the book is coming to pass with, for example, the state of Alabama. How did you feel when you saw the announcement about the Supreme Court decision on embryos in Alabama oh I was just I wasn't shocked but I thought it was kind of a weird coincidence since you and I have been reading this book um, but I also think it's part of the Christian rights um, many ways that they want to um, you know peel back bodily autonomy and spread Christianity in the U.S. we've seen that in many other areas yeah, and it's really alarming. And for people who are saying, well, what does this have to do with adoption? Well, it's in the title, Embryo Adoption. And we'll talk about some of the questions that people may have, like, 
well, if the children, you know, if the children, okay, sorry, but if the frozen children are implanted after being removed from their frozen orphanage, and a they child, literally say that it's <laughs> not a joke. They actually use that terminology. I know, like they're frozen nursery. <laughs> so when these children theoretically are born, because only what was the percentage of of implantations they're actually successful in? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think two percent. No, that's probably low. I know less than ten percent are being um, adopted. I can tell you that. Okay. Less than ten percent of the embryos. Yeah, and I think of actual procedures. IVF procedures. I think only about twelve percent of all IVF procedures result in a living child. So that that's a about- that's a pretty small number. So we're going to be talking about this in the weeks to come, and we hope people will join us. We are kind of planning on taking a a chapter by chapter approach to understanding the political position that she discovered in doing this. But we're also going to talk about the implications that this has for adoption, for adoptee rights, for the rights of a person who could theoretically be be born, let's just avoid the fact that these proponents think a child is born as soon as the sperm greets egg, but the implications for someone who could take their first breath, and try that way, up to 30 or more years after the creation of the embryo. We're going to talk about the, you know, the legal, the psychological, emotional, physical implications for for people born from this. The fact that it is mostly unregulated, that there's not a lot of understanding of the long-term effects of freezing an embryo that there's all kind of property disputes about it, the legal implications for for the creators of the embryos, should other states follow the lead of Alabama. There, there's just so many implications. I, and adoptee rights advocates should be aware of what's happening and what this could mean for the future and for the people that could be born from this. I don't know. Do you have any other things you wanted to add, Lynn, before we wrap up for today? I couldn't help but think about the children that were born through this, these snowflake adoption programs. And, you know, I haven't done any research on, I'm not far enough into the book to know exactly what the actual created children have said about their experiences, but I can't, stop thinking about how it'd be so weird to grow up with two two parents who you can't mirror that you don't mirror them because they're not necessarily you're not related to them just like us you know we we were raised in a, a home where we weren't biologically related to anyone so the lack of mirroring and the confusion um that that could cause even though you know your mother may have carried you most likely she did i just i just find it all just really confusing. I think it would be really hard to wrap your brain around. 
but that's coming from a, a beginner's mind. Like I'm very new to this. I, I don't have the long-term interest that, that you've ha had Andy. So I'm more of that person that's just kind of coming into this going, what are we talking about here? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> well, and you know what you, what you touch on, not just the lack of mirroring, but in some cases, the lack of any potential for that to happen because you could come into the world decades after your parents have passed away. That's correct. Or, I mean, they're keeping these eggs or not eggs. <laughs> they're keeping them in cryopreservation for de decades, some of them. Yeah. And, and just also... We talk about the life gap that a lot of adoptees have where at the beginning of our lives, we don't know where we were, who took care of us, uh, whether we had any uh, injuries that had to be attended to or any ailments that needed uh, medications. We, we don't know who held us. We don't know who fed us. We don't know all of these things. And I think about what would it be like? to think I spent according to these people making these decisions I spent 30 years in a in a metal container you know like frozen but I was I was supposedly a person did I dream you know like if, you're if like you're in like, limbo you were in limbo <laughs> yeah obviously mm -hmm. they don't have brains they're tissue but mm -hmm. for people who believe that these are like people because what did they call them extra uterine infants <laughs> there's something like pre-born children and extra uterine infants and and how do you and and how do you wrap your head around the fact that my parents created me and then allowed me to be kept in a tube in a freezer and then gave me away to other people who then paid for me mm -hmm. because yeah. because my parents didn't want to pay the storage fees yeah or, or you know there's just so many there's so many really it's a mind quest it's like extra stuff than what regular adoptees are thinking about you know yeah and yet these people are considered adopted mm -hmm. and and they will not have a right to know who their parents were they will have to go through the same DNA testing to be able to figure out who their families are. They'll have to deal with the idea of maybe meeting siblings who are, if they're lucky, only years older than they are and not decades older. Yeah. I mean, and you what about the medical history thing? Like if they have an agreement that it's, they're not going to meet or talk to each other. It's closed. Then we're back to that same old thing. You know, how are they going to know what the diseases are running in the family? I, maybe it's disclosed. Um, I'm not sure, but 
you, you know, new diseases pop up. How are you going to keep up with the latest thing that's happening in the family that, you know, that person's going to need information about to take care of their health? Yeah, because they're not going to know any of that. And I don't know. There are just so many things about this. And I know people may not see the Alabama decision as a part of the adoption industry's nefarious plans and they may not see this as as such an issue for adopted people themselves but i uh, you made a comment about the goals here yeah i thought that's where you're going with that <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think the goal i mean we we saw roe v wade get overturned and we've been saying in the adoption community for a while that we need more, we need more babies. And this is the perfect way to get them. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, there's a shortage for what is it one one bait, domestic adoption for every 40 plus parents that want a child? This is the answer. We have yeah. thousands, maybe millions of embryos stored and you know, in freezers, unregulated. Um, and Literally, we could repopulate the United States with the far-right Christians, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, and it's just, it's so problematic. And we will get into some of the contracts that people are required to sign if they go through one of these adoption agencies. We'll talk about the uh, the way this bypasses the the tragedy of not being able to carry your own child. Uh, that has led to some of these womb wet adoption practices. I, I mean, I may get in trouble for saying this, but this is like the this is this is like the pro adoption pro life industry wet dream. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. And you know, it's been just. This has been going on for years, right out of our awareness. Well, most of ours, I know you're aware, but the most of us don't know. I mean, literally till I opened this book, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? It said George Bush was the most pro-life president ever. And I didn't realize he was promoting snowflake adoption. I, I think he's the one that named it, you know, that this has been happening right under our noses and we've never really addressed this in the community. So I think, I think it's good that and this is the first book that's come out the first full book that's come out about snowflake adoption so i think she did a great job in her investigation and i'm excited to be discussing it more in detail in the future andy yeah so thank you thank you for bringing it to our attention and i'm looking forward to having more conversations i'll also try to find a link to the press conference that president bush did with the first like 25 snowflake babies that's on, a great idea yeah on the white house it. lawn yes so uh, thank you for listening this has been another episode of the adoption files and everybody will have to be patient with me as i try to figure out how to make the recording stop <laughs> i I'm always so sadly. No, I don't want to end the meeting for all.
Okay, Lynn, I don't know how to make the recording stop. Okay, slide okay. your little menu to the left. See, this is what happens when I change media here. We're using the phone. There we go. Sorry, everybody. And you trust us to give you good information, and she can't figure <laughs> out pause the recording. We never promised we were tacky. <laughs> there we go. There's the button, everybody.